Welcome to episode 285 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. If you've enjoyed listening to Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, please consider rating the podcast with five stars. And if you're so inclined, you can also leave a review. Your ratings and reviews help new people to find the show. And if you know someone that you think will like Stageworthy, please tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I knew told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. On this week's show, I'm bringing you a conversation that I've wanted to have for a while now. You know, we've all seen this happen. The people playing romance in the show that we're working on inevitably seem to grow romantic outside of the show. We've even given this phenomenon a cutesy little name. We call it the showmance. This phenomenon comes from emotional bleed from the character into real life. I wanted to bring together two people who've thought about this quite a bit and talk through it. Siobhan Richardson is an intimacy director and has made talking about emotional bleed and how to deal with it part of her teaching. And Nicole Winchester is a narrative designer for live action and tabletop role playing. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and I would love to hear your thoughts. You can email me at phil at stageworthypodcast.com or find me on social media. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 285 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. So, Siobhan, one of the reasons why I wanted to have this this conversation with you about um, the difficulty of dealing with emotional bleed in in theater and in acting, mm-hmm. I was having this conversation with with my girlfriend uh, a while ago, and we were talking about how um, you know she dated an actor in the past, and she always felt like there was something weird and forbidden going on, like something just weirdness. Because yeah. if you're doing like a, a romantic scene, there are these strange attachments that form and things like that. And I, I thought it would be interesting to sort of dig into that a little bit. Um, because, you know, we've all been involved in a show where, you know, we, we've even given it a cutesy name, The Showmance. The Showmance. It's the sh- true. The Showmance. As though it's just a thing that just has to happen. And yeah. it's such an unhealthy thing when – Two actors that are professionals and are in a, like doing a romantic work together cannot tell the difference between the the acting and the reality, and it can blur things and make you know relationships outside of the acting world difficult as well. Yeah, like I've. I- I like to remind folks that as an actor, like you are an emotional gymnast. So there, there is a necessity to be 
um, I guess more keenly aware of how our, how, how each of us work as it were, like how, how our, how our, our whole selves operate with a different kind of like gradients, like a fineness of tone than folks who don't work with their emotions as a job. Mm-hmm. And I also like to remind people that like, you are having real experiences. You're having real experiences in an imaginary situation. And to me, that's, that's the, um, the, the fineness of the definition that can really help us with mm. that idea is that it's the clarity of the imaginary situation. But what we haven't really had in our workplace culture is really clear separation mm-hmm. of those contexts. Yeah. So we, that's when we do get that emotional bleed off. And when we have, like, when we have those instances of uh, relationships starting within the within the workplace like within our show context that bleed off into our social spheres and not necessarily having a like a, like a culturally understood practice of it doesn't have to be that way yeah. if you don't want to and it's not it's not inevitable and if it does happen and you're like we're consenting adults and we're doing this thing it doesn't have to be then like a dirty little shameful secret. Like it's almost like there is, there is a delight in that forbidden fruit. Mm. And I feel like that's part of the angle that happens. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it's one of those things that, that, you know, we have that cutesy name for it. We, mm. we've, you know, the, the, the couple that's romantic, you know, sometimes they end up together and sometimes it to people outside. And of course, if you have relationships outside you have partners and things like that it can almost feel like an affair oh um, for sure and that oh, gets yeah. really really dangerous and dirty and it can feel like not dirty but just like it feels like it's it's to the to the to the partner it can feel like like a betrayal it really can because there there is that feeling of you are actually you're having these feelings for somebody who's not me mm-hmm. and like what because we have a culture of, well, these things just kind of happen. And for some folks, it has a, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas yeah, kind of a feeling. So there, it creates this sort of, uh, I guess I feel like we've already said it, that that sense of inevitability. Yeah. Um, like it has to happen and like nobody has any say in it. So because there hasn't been conversation around it, I feel like that's part of what, what, gives it that betrayal feeling because yeah. the partner doesn't get to be part of that conversation at all. No. And also because it's, I think, you know, when you're involved in that situation, when you're the actor, in some ways, you know, what's happening. And in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, that there's this emotional thing that's happening. That's not with your partner. And so it can, it, it's almost like, you're having an affair and you deny it. Like you're going through those same motions and like your partner says, there's something going on. And you're like, that's stupid, you know, but there is something happening, whether or not it turns into a relationship or it turns into an affair emotionally, it can seem like that to somebody on the outside. Ah, that's yeah. I haven't really heard it described that way before, but yeah, that, that totally makes sense that yes, there is something happening. Is it something that I wish to pursue outside of this show? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's part of the conversation that doesn't, that all of this is part of a conversation we don't really have. I, I, I'm probably going to, I'm going to try to stop saying that for the the process of this, uh, of our conversation right now, because that's the whole reason we're having this is we're identifying all those, all those bits and pieces that 
are the contributing factors to why it can feel excitingly secret or like a betrayal or yeah. like something that, ah, I'm afraid of it. It's, it's happening and I don't know what to do about it. In some ways, I, I, I feel like it, it can also be the – one of the reasons why um, – a lot of a lot of actors end up in situations where they are not in uh, solid, long-lasting relationships because sometimes their relationships form in a show. The show <laughs> ends, and then, well, that was essentially the basis of our relationship. And then, after a little while, that that ends, and then they're in another show, and the same thing happens again, and it's this never-ending cycle. Oh yeah, there's definitely anecdotes out there of you know, leading person A has romantic. Uh, scene with leading person B. Leading person B moves on to another show. There's another person in role B. Mm -hmm. And oh my goodness, the previous couple broke up and my goodness, these new people are are together now. <laughs> that is it, that is so practically legendary in some ways of that that happening. Yeah. And I like certain like shows coming up where people are like, oh I I hope it happens or or I look forward to when those feelings start to happen. Like oh, there's an inevitability of it. Yeah. There's there's this thing I in terms of 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 all of this, I feel like it's it's something that we should be talking about like right from the beginning. We yes. should be talking about this in theater school. Because it starts to happen in theater school. People do romantic yeah. scenes. They pair off this sort of stuff. It's just this thing where we've allowed it to be part of the culture of theater and of acting. Mm -hmm. And it's just accepted as just being part of it. Yeah. I mean, I actually have started to teach this idea of like closure and bracketing in schools because I've I've noticed it. I've noticed... In, in what I've discovered in my work, I have noticed these tools to be really beneficial to my mental health overall. Um, and I've noticed that there are actually a lot of actors who have some process or another, but it just, it hasn't been part of the culture. Mm -hmm. So I've, that's, that's like, has entirely motivated me to include this whenever I teach. It started like 10 years ago with, through a stage combat lens, mm. um, so, but I hear what you're saying with like, we've, it's been kind of allowed to be part of it. I think it has mm -hmm. a bit to do with like, when people are in theater school for, when people are anybody's in like college or university, so often it's that person's first time uh, away from home. They are becoming an adult. They're discovering themselves in a different way because they're with a, a different community. So there is... Uh, I, I would think rightly, a reluctance for staff and faculty to be involved mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. part of one's personal life. And there is, I don't know, kind of in some ways a bit of a romanticized idea of, oh, people are discovering themselves. They are uh, allowing themselves to really indulge in their emotional commitment. Mm -hmm. um, mm. like it, it sort of gets, it gets seen through that lens and that carries over. Well. That carries over into after theater school, where suddenly, that's just ooh, that's how we become this this couple. Now we're right. we're in the rehearsal hall, and and we're 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 spooning, we're massaging, we're hugging. This is like we're we're acting like we're in a relationship when we're off stage in order to try to you know facilitate forming that whatever, and then yeah. those lines become so blurred. Yeah, but because and for anyone who's listening to this and, and doesn't know this, when we're working in theater, we do have to form those 
those new relationships really fast. We have to form the illusion of relationships within the story, but it is really important for us to trust each other really quickly in the rehearsal space because we need that trust mm-hmm. in order to be able to do the work that we do, or at least it, uh, it it goes a lot better when you do have that trust, when you have navigated like, oh, I can sit this close to this person. Oh, uh, this is how this person's hand feels on me if, if we have a, an intimate scene of some kind yeah. coming up. So because until recently there wasn't a culture of, or, or, or there wasn't the development of a standardized practice of, mm-hmm. this is how we actually mindfully approach this work within the workspace. A mm-hmm. lot of folks took it upon themselves to create that sense of familiarity um, yeah. in their own fashion. So yeah, it sort of, it then becomes like, because we're not doing it in the workspace, it almost becomes a responsibility in the, the social aspects of yeah. our workspace. So I'm not even, I'm not saying that everyone like hangs out when they're not at rehearsal, but it's, it's during that social time in the rehearsal time. Yes. That yeah. some of this stuff starts and you go, Oh, I, I don't want to do that for the first time in front of everybody. Right. So let's, let's take it upon ourselves yeah. Yeah. to do it privately because we want, we want to feel confident and comfortable. I want to know I can trust my scene partner. Yeah. So it all comes out of a good place in a lot of in a lot of um, instances, the desire to create these bonds comes out of a place of wanting to feel safe and confident in the workplace and to be able to do the best kind of work you can possibly do. But I'm I'm grateful to be part of some of the folks who are saying, here's, here's a different way to do it so that it's all out in the open. Yeah. And then coming back to your original point of um, like spouses and significant others and partners – then see that there is a professional process involved. It doesn't mean that that the significant other's uh, trepidations are all going to just magically disappear, mm-hmm. but it certainly gives a different basis for those conversations to happen so that the the significant other can be can have some uh, insight into the professional process and it doesn't seem like uh, varying dalliances. It's such a dirty little secret in the theater <laughs> world that I think that if, if people who don't – who have a partner that isn't in the theater world owe it to their partner to talk about this before there's ever even a show. It's, it's a so delicate – themselves it's a, into the relationship for yes. sure. Yeah. It's a difficult, delicate conversation to have but to discuss what happens when you're acting and how – we really can't differentiate between acting emotions and and actual emotions, and so obviously, yeah. I, I yeah. say obviously, but it's yeah. Uh, yeah, because you're having real feelings in an imaginary situation. It fe- they feel the same in the body because they are the same. Yes, yeah. Well, it, when you're imagining it, when you're pretending, it's yeah. it it is the same, and so because of that, and because. You know, we fought. It can be. It can feel like an affair if it's mm-hmm. not dealt with carefully. You need to talk to your partner about it long before you're even in a show. Yeah. Or and if you haven't, mm-hmm. when the show comes up, uh, start that conversation. And and I, I wonder if sometimes it doesn't happen because people are worried that it's going to cause a fight or it's going to cause a breakup. Sure. All, one of those many conversations that maybe we don't have because we're actually we're worried about the process and sure. we're actually worried about the outcome. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's one of those things device. where you're essentially, you're essentially saying to your partner, I on the regular 
have an emotional affair with someone that I meet just a couple of days before that. Yeah. And I guess like, I appreciate what you're saying in that that's, that's certainly a perspective of it and how it can feel. But I'd, I'd, I'd like to offer that this, like this conversation that we're having right now is an opportunity to like, to reframe that. Yes. To say like, my job involves having real feelings. Just because mm. I'm playing a murderer doesn't mean I'm going to go out and murder people. Right. It's the intent is not infidelity. In as as uh, and um, I'm going to say because an affair is and it is intended yes. to be infidelity. That's also not true. Right. Um, so let me rephrase that. Um, but so I think part of that conversation includes I am doing this for the for the intent of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I don't want it to feel like a betrayal for right. you. Yes. So, what are your fears? Yes. Uh, what are what are my fears? I've never talked about it with you because I'm afraid that you're mm-hmm. going to be scared, that you're going to be mad at me, that you're going to tell me not to pursue my passion. I right. love my work, yeah. and I love you, mm-hmm. and I want to find a universe in which those can coexist because they can. Just because I'm feeling these feelings at work doesn't mean that I'm now going to diminish my partnership mm. and that I'm going to move out yeah. because of that. And I, I think that's – because for a lot of people that is such a live and present possibility when these conversations come up, I think that's why people – one of the reasons why people don't have them. And actors are rightly protective of their process. They sure. found a version that that allows them to do the difficult emotional work that they need to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you when you bring a partner into that conversation, it I think part of the worry is that now I've got to change my process somehow and mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Because we don't we haven't had a vocabulary for how do I approach being in love with somebody professionally. Yeah. That, I mean, all of that is is essentially the reason I wanted to have this conversation. Yeah. And this seems like a, a good time to bring Nicole Winchester into the conversation. Now, Nicole is from the world, and, and among other things, um, I, I first met Nicole, Nicole uh, while I was involved with live-action role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the things that I've that has that I've been thinking about for quite a while is the fact that the conversation about emotional bleed has been happening in the live action role playing world for a little longer than it has been in the theater world. I'm so excited about this. I really and, am. <laughs> and so I wanted to 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 bring Nicole into the conversation because as somebody who has both created live action role playing games and facilitated live action role playing games she's thought a lot about about bleed and talked a lot about it so nicole uh, welcome to the conversation thank you very much and uh i i uh one of the things i i actually liked the most uh about the conversation so far is that it's real emotions about an imaginary situation Mm -hmm. and you're having real experiences about imaginary situations. And that's always what I say about Mm -hmm. bleed and about um, any sort of uh, situation in gaming or in LARP. Uh, Even if you're just upset with people about something that happened, that's, that's what we call, we call it bleed in and bleed out basically. Yeah. And uh, bleed in uh, it was, I should say initially the coin uh, the term was coined at uh, Ropecon, which is a convention in Finland, 
uh, in 2007 by a role-playing designer called Emily Kerboss. She's pretty awesome. And basically, bleed-in is when the player's emotional state affects the character. Right. And bleed-out is the other direction. The character's inner state affects uh, the player. So it would be the same for actors, basically. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I was thinking it's funny because uh, Phil and I actually both come from acting background as well. So it's it's an interesting conversation to have. Well, so, I found it interesting for myself because, you know, when – I mean, people who might be listening to this since it's theater-based, they might not know that, that you know, they may have heard of Dungeons & Dragons and games like that. But live-action role-playing, you're playing a role-playing game. You're essentially acting out everything, feeling the things. It's the same as acting in a scene, just improvisationally, which in some ways makes it, like, more immediate. Um, yes, and, yes. And um, it depends on the game. Like, mm-hmm. you could be playing something that's, like – vampires in a castle in Poland, which was incredibly emotionally, um, you know, uh, fraught for me Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And, and, but you know, it was vampires in a castle in the end. Um, or you could be playing a game that, uh, some people I know in England put together, which was basically uh, a post Brexit uh, Britain where people were trying to, uh, flee to Wales, Mm -hmm. uh, a new Republic of Wales. And they were all in refugee situations, Mm. uh, leaving their family and friends behind and everything they knew to travel into a new situation. And they did this in a uh, decommissioned prison mm. in Britain and they did it for a weekend. Wow. Yeah. And intense. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. very intense. It's actually something that I'm working with them to bring to Canada. We were doing it pre pandemic. We were looking at a prison in, in uh, Thunder Bay among other places to work on it, but yeah, it, it's really something they worked on it with the refugee council in the UK Uh, Because they really wanted people to um, understand that situation and do it in a respectful way. Uh And... No, go, go ahead, ahead. Phil. So I was just saying that the, one of the, the fascinating things about about these about LARP is that um, you end up in a situation where you you go into something that lasts essentially a weekend and throw yourself into it. Into oh, we have been assigned to be lovers. Okay, you know now we mm-hmm. are we are doing that, and and it lasts a weekend and then it's over. And so you you it's a very very intense experience to be a part of. And it's very similar to having to build that relationship, uh, like you were talking about, Siobhan, in a very quick uh, period of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you do have to manage that, too, because you end up uh, having messenger conversations or uh, writing huge Google Docs or letters together. And so spending months and months and months, mm-hmm. I spent probably a year building up a, a relationship with someone mm-hmm. before a game that that involved a huge history and, and family relationship and everything. And wow. so, yeah, yeah, you can do these things, but it comes with a certain cost as well. Uh, the more you put into it, when people play, also when people play campaigns that last years and years and years, the more emotional investment, much mm-hmm. like I think with an acting role, the more emotionally, the more uh, intellectually, the more you put into the text, uh, the more you're invested and the more it takes to pull yourself out of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, as a show develops, like um, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're in a longer run, I mean, the difference between doing a four day run and even, even, even the difference between doing a four day run and a four week run. Exactly. A whole lot of emotional engagement. Like if you're doing something that is an open-ended run, like it's, there's mm-hmm. so much and it, it's, feels to me really somewhat similar mm-hmm. to Nicole, what you're describing with this, like a year's 
buildup of this relationship, which you then spend an entire weekend immersed in. Like that is, that is extraordinary amounts of emotional commitment. And I, like, I'm also just thinking of the, the crash afterwards when suddenly that's not there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we do have a certain amount of uh, debriefing kind of mechanisms involved in LARP for that. Um, and there was some work done in that kind of area for a period of time. Mm-hmm. However, I, I, I think there could be a lot more work done in that area because as you say, you spend a whole weekend in there and a lot of times it's done without breaks. Some uh, LARPs will have uh, calibration breaks, which I think are a very good idea because like you said, you spend a whole weekend immersed emotionally in these situations. Mm. And some of them are very intense. Even if you're just playing wizards in a castle, mm. there's still, you know, intense friendships, uh, relationships, familial relationships. Uh, and, and, and you know, the stakes of the moment, like you're still, you're still there trying to achieve something like what a, what an emotional pull that must have on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm. I was going to say, like, I would not LARP if I could not play romance. Um, I would not LARP if I could not have intense relationships. Mm. And so, hearing uh, the conversation about having to have these conversations with uh, significant others about, you know, I love my job, and and it's not just so I can have, you know, an emotional affair with someone. Well. Partially, I am doing it. So we can have emotional <laughs> with people. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because sometimes um, these like little, little romances in character can just give you a little something that you're not getting hmm. in, like in your say- relationship or give you a little bit of excitement. And then you go home and, yeah. and you're happy with the person you're at home with. I like to say, like, I love to go to the Louvre. I don't have to take the Mona Lisa home. Mm. Like I am, yeah. I, I say that right now to say yeah. that I don't. If if someone chooses to engage in their work relationship to that depth, like to me, I'm, I I always say consenting adults uh, mm-hmm. do what you will as long as it's not. For, uh, I mean, from the perspective that I talk about it, as long as it's not creating a toxic work environment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if you're bringing that into the workplace and you're actually getting in the way of making art together, then I'm like, I, th- I think it needs some mm-hmm. rebalancing. But yeah, Nicole, I, I no, no shame on anybody who's like, and I recognize that this is also part of what I'm feeling. I think it's, it's far more constructive for us all to be really clear about these are the benefits. I get out of this. This is exactly what's happening. And I'm going to be open about that. So there's no, uh, there's no secrets. I'm not hiding mm-hmm. something from somebody and I'm not doing this. So as to hurt anybody Yeah. Mm-hmm. or, or my think- actions don't inadvertently hurt somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think what bleed does is it gives us the language. And that was one note I wrote mm-hmm. down. The, the concept of bleed gives us the language to talk to each other about it and to talk to significant others about it mm-hmm. and say, this is bleed from my character. I don't actually, I'm not a stalker. You know, that's my, that's always my joke. I'm not a stalker. I just really like you because of my character. That's why I'm messaging you all the time. Or, you know, um, this is bleed from my character. I just have a bit of a LARP crush right now. Or, you know, mm-hmm. it's bleed from my character. I'm going to be pissed off at you for a little while because you murdered me, you know, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think that can happen in, you know, uh, a show as well. If you have to play enemies mm-hmm. with someone for four weeks, that is going to affect your relationship, I think. Mm-hmm. 
And I think, you know, talking about, about the, just the phrasing of talking about bleed, giving you a language to talk about it, that does sort of allow, it allows the conversation in a way that, that like, like we've been saying in theater, we, we don't and haven't talked about. Um, we, people have just sort of like, in, in many ways, you know, fallen into this showmance or fallen into their crush, not discussed it and just sort of like either pretended that it doesn't exist or, or, you know, different ways of handling it. Being able to say to somebody, I'm experiencing bleed right now, please, you know, forgive me or, or whatever that is, that allows you, that sort of frees up to, to not feel the shame about it or, or whatever you might be feeling about it. Right. Because the hiding it intensifies it one way or the other. Yes. It's like skating on a sprained ankle. Sure, you can you can still do it, but you're you're still you're affecting the situation and being affected by it because you're the state that you're in is not is not your usual neutral state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would I'm curious, can I ask a question? Yeah. Nicole, I would love to hear more about um what your uh, what your debriefing practices are? You said that there's kind of a, a vocabulary mm. in what you do. I, what's tell us about that? Uh, well, there's there's a different sort of uh, people have different processes, but one thing uh, that is very common is at the end of a LARP, often uh, there will be either um, there's a lot of discussion about whether it should be mandatory or not. Usually, it's optional or mandatory. Uh, if it's mandatory, it's not mandatory that you have to talk because people have different opinions about safety mm-hmm. and whether debriefing should be part of the safety process because, you know, bleed, uh, it, a lot of the LARPs have a lot of bleed because it's a very intense process and doing a debriefing immediately after kind of helps you come back into yourself Uh, as along with the parties and stuff, but, um, parties are always more focused on, uh, positives and I really enjoyed playing with you and not so focused on coming back into yourself. Mm. So if it's a group process, often, uh, people will either do it as group or break into groups and discuss something like, um, what is one thing that you want to take with you from your character or from this LARP, uh, into your personal life? Um, if I was playing a really badass character, I might want to say, I want to take this character's sense of confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, something, another thing you could say is what is one thing that I want to leave behind, um, that I don't want to take with me. Uh, if you were someone that was saying, I want to leave this character's anger. Um, I want to leave this character's resentment, things like that. Um, cool. Yeah. yeah, there are different questions that you can come up with. Or um, what is something that I learned about myself uh, through this process? Just there's a number of things. If uh, I could have one day more, what would I want to do with this character? Um, just just various questions to kind of like bring yourself uh, into a process where you're not talking about me anymore because we always have that issue where you refer to your character as i'm i'm my you know not nicole but me and uh yeah but get into the point where you're referring to your character as a separate entity from yourself and uh, you're thinking as yourself again actually Uh, having having done at least one larp with with you nicole um i i found that period of separation after the, when the game finished, super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about all the times that I didn't do that in the past when, when LARPing, mm-hmm. um, just sort of like game ends, go home. 
and carrying everything with me from the game still and 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 finding that situation where you're referring to the character as me rather than they rather than in the third person not separating from the character i found i found those steps i found those debrief questions super helpful it it is nice to kind of have that decompression space to go okay especially when it's an intense experience because just to explain uh what phil's talking about like in the in the 90s, um, in the <laughs> olden days of vampire games and LARPing, what we used to do, just to date ourselves a little bit, what yeah. we used to do is is it would go like right up till the last minute and they would yell, game is called, and at midnight or something like that. And then it would be like, well, everybody, time to go home or, mm-hmm. or go, go to Coffee Hut and chat with people over coffee and then go home. And if something horrible happened, well, uh, too bad you had to deal with it. Yes, yeah. And and you were just like slammed back into your life. And uh, yeah, it's it's nice to have that buffer. And I I do feel like it's a safety thing as well. It's something for people's emotional and mental well being to mm-hmm. kind of have that moment. Yeah. Well, it's like from an acting perspective it's important to, and I certainly discovered this in some of the training that I've facilitated for the people. It's important to have that moment where you trans, uh, you transform the way you are being present. Like when we are doing things like when we're acting, it's my job in that moment to take everything personally, to mm-hmm. react to everything that happens because within the bubble of that time and space, that is my universe. Right. Whereas right. if I keep that openness and I like, walk out on city streets. Mm-hmm. It, there is a literal safety issue with that. There's potential physical safety mm-hmm. issues with that. And there's definitely uh, emotional and psychological safety aspects with that. Mm-hmm. So uh, what you've just said resonates with me so much in that it's so important to have that mindful transition from I'm present and reacting to everything back to this is what I've learned being a human being in the social situation I'm in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I think in some ways why we need to have these languages, why we've, we've developed this or at least why Nordic LARP developed it and then we've kind of adopted it to some extent is because um, in theater, I was thinking a bit about this, um, everyone's job is very specialized. Um, the actors are there to, you know, take direction and see their part of the text and be that person. The director is there to have an artistic vision and direct the whole process. And, you know, uh, your job, Siobhan, is to help with that intimacy part of the equation at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, everyone's job is very compartmentalized. In a LARP, we are all our own director. We are our own actor. Mm-hmm. We are our own intimacy coordinator. We are our own safety coordinator. We have to do all those things for ourselves. Um, because, you know, if you're a LARP facilitator or a LARP right, uh, LARP dramaturge, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. you only have a certain amount of control over the story until you leave it in the player's hands. Mm-hmm. And then you can only do so much. You can make it as safe an environment as you can as interesting an environment as you can. But in the end, it's all up to them yeah. once one it the, starts. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I think in, in the LARP world, this conversation became so important. Um, Nicole, I'm sure you remember watching lots of unhealthy relationships form through LARPs um, and lots of lots of conflicts happening, lots of drama outside of the game because we didn't 
acknowledge at the time what was happening that the emotions were were running high that that this was that this was bleed because we didn't have a language for it at the time and we're improvising we're making this we're making the scenes up we're making the drama up on the spot so of course it's really immediate whereas for a, a theater show for the most part there are some exceptions for a theater show there's a script and you're following through that which sort of keeps it a little bit more on track but mm-hmm. the emotions are no less the same in in both situations yeah, exactly. I think that's that's part of the part that I forgot, too. If you have a script, you know where you're going with it, right? Um, yeah. If you're surprised suddenly, um, which happens a lot in LARP, uh, that's that's part of the wonderful part of it. Mm. That's that's the magic of it. But at the same time, it, it, it does make emotions very, very intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think... Ah, I had a point and it went away. That's okay. Uh, that's, that's okay. It, it, the... I think the language that we didn't have the language for so much of it in uh, the early days. And I think it did cause a lot of problems and it still causes problems. Like mm-hmm. it hasn't stopped the people who, uh, you know, the people who are in one show in one relationship mm-hmm. and the next show in the next relationship that happens in LARPs yes. too. I was yes. laughing yeah. thinking about that because I have seen that happen. Um, I've seen divorces come up out of LARPs mm-hmm. as often as you've probably seen them come up out of, uh, out of various theater shows. Um, so, hmm. I mean, it doesn't stop the problem to have the language, to have the discussions, but it makes people much more aware of it, I think, which, yeah. which is important to have, to have the conversations. I think, uh, I think we could do a lot more with it though. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think it's, st- it certainly doesn't stop them, but I think it I th- doesn't stop all of them, but I think it certainly stops some, I think mm. for those who have an increased awareness, they can, there's a different sensitivity to like, oh, right, that's that's my chemical response. I don't have to feel compelled mm-hmm. to follow it. This isn't a unique thing that's never going to happen again. And actually, so that and that's something about the acting side of it that when we have that, when we have a vocabulary around it, there is a sense of right. This will happen again. I think sometimes when people hang on to them, mm. there is a sense of this is this is unique and. Uh, I'll never have this experience. Mm -hmm. I have to take this one. Mm. Yes, it's unique, but it's not like it's the only kind of this kind of experience you'll ever have. Yeah. Right. And I I think I was going to say, sorry, I Mm -hmm. think there's also um, with, because within the LARP community, there's so much sharing of stuff that's um, uh, just ephemeral uh, creation stuff from LARPs that uh, people sort of share their own debriefing techniques and uh, deconnecting techniques just because they're sharing stuff that's like, oh, um, one thing I do is I I take a picture of all of the kind of ephemera from my weekend in kind of a collage. And so it has my character name tag and all of this stuff that I wore in different like notes and stuff. And that's one way that I kind of uh, say goodbye to the character. And that's something I learned from other LARPers. Other people write stories and they share them. So uh, people can kind of share techniques and find out what works for them uh, through other people sharing what they do just for fun. Hmm. I would like to to talk a little bit about um, just preparing for bleed, dealing with it. Um, Siobhan, you've 
mentioned a couple of times that you have things that you do when you're when you're teaching. Can you share a couple of a couple of things uh, with us that that you do uh, in your practice? Sure. Um, so one of the ones that I brought in from my stage combat practice is this idea of tagging in and tagging out. Sometimes you'll hear it called bracketing as well. The idea that we put some kind of bracket around the actual acting. Uh, so that it's clearer for the, for the brain. It's as much for the subconscious as it is for the conscious mind of, uh, tag in. Now we're doing the vulnerable thing. Tag out. We can leave it behind. So we start creating this really active framing around it. I suggest that people do it in their own practice, like around working on the scene so that they're in their, in their minds and in their, in their cells. They create this awareness of this is when I'm investing this emotional energy. And then this is now closed. I can sort of close the box and put it away. It's a little bit of what we're discovering through the pandemic where folks are like, wow, I, I have been benefiting from my commute hmm. because there's a real separation between work and home. And so people mm -hmm. who are now working from home for the first time are, are finding ways to create that separation. So, Tagging in and tagging out might be uh, like the one I offer in rehearsal with folks is eye contact, high 10, uh, make sure that you are breathing. And because we feel, uh, we feel that percussion, the percussion of hands meeting each other, we feel that in our bodies, we hear the sound of, of that little tap sound. And so it cues the system in a few different ways. Um, other ways you can do it. And again, sort of this nine to five idea as well is like changing your clothes. Uh, mindfully stepping into the space um, when I am in rehearsal, when I'm actually in the taped area that denotes the stage, I mindfully consider myself being in the workspace or being mm. in that world and then mindfully step off it whenever I can, mm. uh, especially during breaks or, or during a time when it's like, we're not doing that thing right now. So part mm. of it is creating a, a common in and out so that I create that, that bubble of the imaginary world. Um, other parts of it too are taking a look at how, what happens in my body and how do I leave that behind? So, um, reading about completing the stress cycle. So we make sure that the, the physical body has what it needs to, to lower the heart rate, to refocus, to come back out of uh, any kind of fight, flight, or freeze response that's happened as a result of just being a bit stressed. And stress can be good stress or bad stress. But um, stepping out of that slightly stressed uh, situation, state of being, and come back into whatever neutral is for you. And continue then to like fill the well, to fill the imagination so that not only are we putting a bracket around the workspace, but we're also teaching the body that the, the energy expended during that time will be replenished so that mm. there will be rest afterwards so that the effect on the body is a little less uh, depleting. Mm. Wow. That's um, really interesting. Yeah, the, there's because there's so much of what you're talking about, the, the, the entering this space. I can't. I can't even talk about the number of times that I've just casually walked on into the stage space, <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, it's my turn. Okay. Just going to get up and going to go without actually really being mindful of the fact that no, no, I'm going from, from the non-play space into the play space. Like this is, this is sort of an important thing for me psychologically to acknowledge that this is the space I'm moving into. And I just, I find it helpful for just getting in and out of character really quickly. Like on camera, it's, 
easier in a way because we have action. We have Mm -hmm. cut. Like there's a set sequence that we all abide by. Mm -hmm. But in theater, there's a lot more in the way of like kind of drifting in and out of character Mm, and drifting in and out of the work. Um, We have the obvious thing of like getting into the rehearsal hall. But yeah, there's a lot of like, oh, we're kind of chatting about it. Oh, let's kind of do it. Mm. Um, And I just – if I may tangent for a moment, I just, Please. I found it so helpful in my stage combat practice because spending an hour and a half choreographing and like an acting in a scene of violence is like, is really taxing on the system. In some ways it's easier when you're doing intimacy because there is, there's, um, and you're, and you have a good partnership and you're enjoying the scene. Mm-hmm. So under the assumption that I'm enjoying the scene, it's easier because it's a joyful spending of energy. But when that that spending of energy is stressed, or the story is one of uh, of um, of stress or negativity or challenge or uh, anger, that's so much harder on the system. And so when mm. I was introduced to this, it it did so much like for my fatigue levels, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as well as yeah, being able to get in and out of character more easily because it helped me to recognize the parts of the work that are simply oh, this part's just movement. Like this is my body expending mm. physical energy, but I don't have to have an emotional state behind it every time I do it. Mm-hmm. And then recognizing and connecting with your partner saying, I'm going to act now. So I'm going to make all the owie owie sounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm not surprising my partner when they do something. I make an ow sound. They think they've hurt me. I'm like, no, no, no. I was just acting. I'm an amazing actor because you thought you thought you heard. I thought you thought I was dying. Uh, but I wasn't. But the, but you can see how quickly though, if like you're doing this usual choreography, and the focus of repeating the choreography is making sure that we can repeat it ad nauseum. And mm-hmm. suddenly, my partner is making sounds like I've hurt them. Like the background app is always running. If you don't want to hurt your partner, so yes. here's this thing happened of like, oh no, what have I done? Uh, which is just it's it's hard on it's hard on the person it's so hard mm-hmm. uh emotionally speaking mm-hmm. so just in my own work i found having clarity of that to be so supportive of being able to make it through a long rehearsal process and so when mm-hmm. i brought it into my work and i wasn't necessarily fighting when when really just the the content was was more emotionally challenging i was i was really quite surprised to be able to have that vocabulary and to have an eye and to, to see how that vocabulary hmm. made my, my work easier to access and my, my life that much, that much easier. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think, I think even just from knowing, uh, going through a, an extremely emotional weekend of, of being immersed in something that uh, we severely underestimate how uh, draining and how much energy and how difficult it is on each of us to go through that that kind of intensity all the time without a break, without talking to someone about it, without taking time to kind of check in with our partners um, about it and see how things are going. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it, it it, it, it is a lot. And especially if you are, like you were saying, really angry with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, it can be difficult. And I don't think uh, we spend enough time sort of uh, taking a break and, and uh, taking that sort of calibration or, or mm. checking in in the middle of it, so to speak, uh, especially in LARP, yeah. I think. I don't know about theater, but um, probably not as well. <laughs> but it, that's that's a that's a very safe assumption. Probably not. Uh, Nicole, a couple of questions for you now. You mentioned uh, uh, calibration breaks while the LARP is going on. Um, if you're taking a calibration break, what kind of things are you are you doing there as far as as far as checking in and trying to make sure that everybody's you know okay? Do you need a break? Like what what does a calibration break look like? Um, well, in a LARP, like, uh, say, Inside Hamlet, they specifically had calibration breaks. So uh, this will be interesting to your audience specifically, I think. Uh, Inside Hamlet is a LARP that is basically Hamlet. Um, people play the main uh, characters of Hamlet, and they do have to do several of the soliloquies, the, the people who are cast as the main characters. But people are cast as families as well. Um, some of which are made up and some of which are part of sort of uh, part of the original play. And uh, everyone dies at the end, of course, uh, because <laughs> everyone dies at the end of Hamlet. Like that is known to to be the thing that's going to happen. It's just a matter of how you die and who kills you. Um, and so the calibration breaks for Hamlet are specifically set up through that because it's a bunch of horrible people being horrible. They are set up to check in on all these, the players of the horrible people being horrible to go, how are you doing? Mm. Are you angry at me for being horrible to you? Mm. Um, also, would you like me to kill you next round? If you, would like, <laughs> if you would like me to kill you, how would you like to die? You would like me to poison you. Okay, sure. Let's, how would you like this to happen? Um, so that's why those are set. That's that sort of calibration break. Mm. Um, a more informal one might be ones you set up with your friends where you're like, okay, I know we're playing this intense relationship. Let's check in with each other every like, um, half a day mm. at lunch and make sure that we're cool. So how are you doing? Is this still working for you? Do you want to change the relationship? So on and so forth. If it's not, let's do something different. If it is cool, what do you want to do next? Mm. Um, at a LARP like convention of thorns, uh, that was the big vampire LARP played in a uh, castle in Poland. Uh, most of it was played at night. So most of the meals uh, acted as calibration breaks because they were during the daytime. And so it was very easy to uh, sit with people that you were arguing with all night and kind of chat with them as people. Hmm. And I arranged at, at one meal, uh, I was sitting with uh, one of my other clan mates and he was like, I think you should beat me up tonight. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, when do you think that should happen? Oh, about this point. All right, cool. Let's do that. And uh, later on, I, I, we had a big, big fight and I beat him up and he was quite happy with that. So these are the things you do. You can arrange mm. scenes. Uh, mm. You can check in with each other emotionally. Uh, you can rearrange stuff if it's not working. Mm. Um, you can have conversations if you're having problems with one another. On a larger scale, you can make plots happen, so on and so forth. So I have, a, I have another question. Is Are these like calibration breaks and such, is this enough embedded in the culture that someone coming to it knew someone would know to introduce them to these ideas? Or is it something that most people have just kind of stumbled upon? 
Um, in Inside Hamlet, they are part of the game. Mm-hmm. So you would have to do them. You would come across them as part of the game. So you would be introduced to them as part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, not necessarily. That's something you might learn from others. You might hear of in the discourse. Um, if you're part of sort of the more academic conversations, you might hear other people mention it. Um, if it's not something that's, that's built into the game, it might not be something that you come across now. Um, just as a moment, just one of the other things that 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 you did then at the game that I played last year um, was the day when we played at night. During the day, you had basically a seminar where everybody sort of got together, and we sort of like eased into the game by going through a number of exercises and right, and right. talked about what we were looking for and 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 and. You know, where do we want conflict? Like what kind of thing? There were all kinds of exercises that we went through that I think was a great way to 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 prepare us for the emotional intense intensity of the the game itself. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're working on a play, we all we, we often have like, you know, we have a day or longer of, of table work. And we talk really academically about the play. We might talk about the costumes. We might talk about the, the, uh, the, 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 the setting. We'll talk about the, what's happening, what was happening in the world at the time of the play, things like that. But we rarely talk about the emotional stakes and where we are. And we don't ease in emotionally to, to the, to, to the play in many ways, right. I w- wonder if if that's sort of something that that that, that could be introduced in terms of like, preparing to begin the emotional intensity of of the rehearsal process, rather than just talking about the academic stuff and then jumping into it. I th- yeah, I think there's there is depends on who you talk to. There is kind of a, a movement towards the um, like the workplace gathering. I mean, Phil, you make a really good point that we talk about like, what's the play going to be like, but we don't really come together as workmates Mm -hmm. to discuss like, what is that rehearsal room agreement of supporting each other into that? And the, Mm -hmm. the ramping up of intensity, you're just sort of expected to show up for the first day, do a read. And then the next day start, start blocking it. Like it's so Mm -hmm. rare to have that opportunity where we actually say, oh, and you're all professionals. We all know this, this is going to be hard. Um, and then whatever that bridging process is, mm. um, I'm so glad you asked that because it's. I've been thinking a lot about um, and and working on some processes for how do we how do we improve the workplace? How do we help the workplace be something somewhere that we can trust and take risk and uh, be confident so that we can take the challenges and do the vulnerable. Um, exhausting things we need to do in a way I mean, that we're supported. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, even um, what we have the opportunity for people to ask, say, is what they're looking for in terms of an experience. And mm-hmm. that could be really valuable. I'm looking in terms of what someone's looking for in terms artistically. Mm-hmm. Um, where what how they're looking to grow artistically, uh, what they want out of playing a part or directing the play or or uh, designing the costumes for a specific show. 
those are hugely important things to know, I think, uh, for someone you're working with, especially when you're an actor working in an ensemble or working with, you know, in a close relationship with someone, what they want artistically out of the role is, is important to know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also there's, there's, oh, really? Wow. Totally. Like I think we all show up at work ready to do the job. Yeah. But also, you know, what's interesting is, is sometimes we come, we come into work and we're, we're expecting to do the, we're, you know, we're ready to do the job we think, but maybe there are themes in the play that we come up against that we weren't expecting that, that, you Mm -hmm. know, are, that are aligned with, with difficult experiences that we've had. We don't talk about that stuff up front. And so somebody Mm -hmm. is, is hitting this difficult spot in the play and they feel completely unsupported because nobody knew about this going in and to have the freedom and the opportunity to say, um, last year I lost my mom or whatever it is. And this play deals with the loss of a parent. It may be that in the course of this, I might have some moments. I just want to let you know. And if you can support me in that, thank you. Oh yeah. That'd be huge. If mm-hmm. you could just say that, or, you know, this, it doesn't stop me from wanting to do this play, but this play has some difficult things. It may trigger yeah. me, but I want to get through it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think part of the reason why this, these conversations haven't come up, if and I think some people are having them, but it's certainly not like an industry norm. Um, I think part of the reason it hasn't come up before is because as a society, we haven't had a lot of common language around how do you support someone mm. in, a, in a moment of difficulty? Like what is mental health first aid? Mm. And I know for some people, I think the fear of starting that conversation Mm-hmm. is that it's going to uh, hold up the work, um, that somehow it will open the floodgates for our workplace to become uh, a group therapy session of some kind, which mm-hmm. is like not what we're doing. We all know that that's not what we're doing. But I think there's a bit of a fear of of um, yeah, derailing the work process or, or sure. opening the floodgates to something that – no one in the room has has clinical experience doing. Yeah, there is sort of the opportunity, though. To I mean, I think we mentioned earlier the the the, the possibility of setting the ground rules. What are the ground rules for our rehearsal mm-hmm. process? Mm-hmm. As actors, we can get together and we can all discuss. Like, here's I don't know the safe word is I don't know something, but whatever yeah. it is, like yeah. you know, we we put together our our what what does what does our ensemble look like, and what are the ground rules? And maybe we agree that somebody hits a difficult moment and we can't really address it in the room. But if you can tell me what you need now, I can provide that for you after rehearsal, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like uh, that, that's all, that's all we did. That's all we said. Uh, if someone was having difficulty, just ask them what they need. Mm-hmm. Not, not anything other than that. What do you need right now? And uh, help get that for the person yeah. and and go from there. And, and don't worry about getting it wrong because yeah. uh-huh. you can't get, you know, you can't get it wrong if you give someone what they need. Yeah. And the answer to the question is sometimes I'm, is sometimes nothing. Sometimes it's I just need a moment. Sometimes it's I need a glass of water. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be so many things. But that that question of what do you need right now is such an important one in those situations. It's funny. I've been having chats with a uh, with a colleague who has a, a really similar career path to mine in some ways. And we've we've talked about being actors with specialties in both fight direction and intimacy. We both have had that experience of being the actor in the room in that moment knowing what the tools are for a challenging conversation as a for exa- as an example 
But in the moment, like being unable to articulate it. So with what you folks are saying about someone asking, what do you need? Like that one step can be so huge Mm -hmm. rather than expecting the actor to say, hang on time out. I need this. That is a really different thing than someone else noticing something has shifted in the room, Mm -hmm. asking for like a five second pause and saying, what do you need? Or do you know what you need? Do you need anything? It's such a powerful question. Like the question, what do you need is such a powerful one because sometimes if you're expecting somebody to speak up and say what they need, they're, they can't do it. But yeah. if you ask them, what do you need right now? They can usually tell you. Mm. And it could be, it could be, I need five minutes. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and we, you know, I think we can give anybody having a hard time five minutes, you know, I think there's in, yeah, absolutely. I think there is so much reticence in our Canadian theater process where we so often it's, it's almost a badge of honor where we're like, we just, we're so short of time. We just Mm -hmm. don't have time. Like time. I think we can all agree. Time is like the ultimate unrenewable resource. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think we feel it keenly in our theater rehearsal spaces. And I think that's a part of the fear of stopping and saying, "Uh, I, I need a minute. Sure. Because we're like, Oh no, I'm wasting that that minute of resource. Whereas ask anybody else in the room and most people are going to say, we can totally take one yeah. minute. We can totally take 30 seconds. I mean, even like I have to go pee for some folks taking, taking that two minutes to run down the hallway, go to the bathroom and come back feels like some kind of, feels like some kind of trespass. Yeah. It's like reframing our, our idea of like, and I don't think anyone, time. yeah. And I don't think anyone got into theater to be on the clock or, you know, at at an office desk or being surveilled about, you know, what they're doing with their time. Right. So it's, it seems so ridiculous, but, but it's understandable given, you know, short, short, short rehearsal time, short, short, short production time. I mean, it's understandable, but at the same time, I mean, you know, your actors, it's okay. (laughs) Take five minutes. (laughs) Here's that. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I just have this this brainstorm of like, oh my goodness, it's part of it. I think sometimes, like at the end of the day, when we're like, oh, we've got to end the day here, it's because we're in this like creative flow together. And it's Mm -hmm. in this moment Mm -hmm. right now that I'm going, I wonder if as as a room, there would be a different sense of how the day is going if we had these like shared practices of like, this is what I need to really feel like I'm getting going in my day. Mm. Cause if we mm. can spend more of our day in flow and less of our day getting into flow. Yes. By the time the day is done at the end, we'd be like, Oh, great. Like I've totally had those rehearsals where we feel ready to end mm-hmm. half an hour, an hour earlier in the day. And some rehearsals, some, some directors are like, yep, we're done for the day. That's what we're yeah. going to achieve today. Mm-hmm. It's healthy for us to stop now. Whereas you get into other rooms and you're like, how is it this time? I feel like we just got started. Yeah. I yeah. I am so curious. I would love to anecdotally hear what people have to say about uh, about that. Like, yeah, how did we start? And so therefore, how did our day go? Yeah. No. And that's that's sort of like a, 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 an interesting idea to, to maybe start the rehearsal process with a conversation about what I need. And do we all have permission to stop for a second and ask somebody, what do you need right now if somebody's, you know, a stalker in an emotional moment? But then to like take 
five minutes at the end of the rehearsal process to check in and have a debrief for the end of the day. Oh yeah. What, what went well, what didn't work? What, what did you love? What did you hate? Mm. What can we take away from this? What should we leave behind? Oh, amazing. Yeah. I've been in some rehearsal processes where the directors have absolutely put that in. Sometimes it's like, and this is part of those, like those closure practices we were talking about earlier. Uh, Sometimes it's a five minute dance break or like the length of a single song. And each person is responsible for the, for the fun song for on different days. Uh, I know one group who made time for journaling Mm. So that you could like have a daily debrief. Uh, mm. Another group, they were doing some particularly challenging material and they had, it's so adorable, um, an enormous like torso sized heart pillow with <laughs> arms on it. Aww. So that each person took a turn hugging the pillow mm. and and saying those things you were talking about, Nicole, mm. like what worked, what didn't, what, what struck you that day? Like, what do you feel needs to be kind of left in the space? Mm. Um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've found for myself and what I suggest for other people is like, yeah, take that walk to do that. If it's not happening in the room, mm. I, although I'm, I, I personally, I do those two extremes where I'm like, great, bye. And I feel like totally at a loss for the rest of the day. Yes. Or when I like, I linger too long. And before mm. I had this idea of like, no, it's, it can feel incomplete as you're leaving the room. As long as you give yourself that time, that transitioning time in between mm. somehow. But I totally notice the days when I'm like, I haven't done this mindfully. And I end up like scrolling yeah. for, for 20 minutes. And then I catch myself going, what? I know, I know better than this. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. I want, I want to thank you both for this conversation. I feel like that, like in some ways, the conversation about emotional bleed and also like some of the bigger themes around that mm-hmm. are like, this is just the start of a conversation. And I hope that, that, that other people hear this and they have those conversations. And I, I, I'd love to hear uh, what people think about about the process and, oh, yeah. and and everything else. So, thank you both for this conversation. This has been this has been really great. Thank oh, you, thank Phil. you. Lovely to like chat with you, Nicole. This is great. Oh yeah, it was it was wonderful to hear all of this. It was uh, super super interesting. And I just want uh, people to remember that bleed isn't bad. Mm. It's uh, just how you deal it with it that mm. uh, makes yes. it the issue. That's like that's like I think of of anything. That's the sentence that 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 is the most one of the more important from this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. 